It's the morning show that no one knows and no one is talking about. I said no one is talking about, but if they did, they'd probably say it's the best way to start today with Rach and Dave. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. 30 minute delay. I can't control the universe. Listen, I'm doing my best here. We have a lot of moving parts. Welcome to Tuesday. On the Start Today Morning Show, my name is Dave. I am married to Rachel Hollis. You are watching the uh, extraordinary high-quality feed of the Start Today Morning Show on her feed. But I'll tell you what, she's not here today. She is shooting her show for Quibi. I am excited for it. Welcome. Happy Tuesday. We're jumping right in. We don't have time to waste today. We are jumping right in. When I was running my long run, my last long run, a few days ago, I happened to have mentioned this story. It is important because there's a teachable moment out of the things that are happening at the Hollis House this morning. We're gonna start with a person named Roger Bannister. Ladies and gentlemen, do you know who Roger Bannister is? Roger Bannister was a runner. Maybe still is a runner for all I know. Nope, he's not alive anymore. But anyway, he was a runner. For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. People tried to run a four-minute mile. Four-minute mile? People were trying to run a four-minute mile. For centuries, like since the beginning of time, since people were running on roads trying to set time records, people were trying to break the four-minute mile. And then along comes a guy named Roger Bannister. And in 1954, Roger Bannister ends up breaking the four-minute mile barrier, right? Breaks the four-minute mile barrier. He does it in a like way that, man, people never thought was believable. Like They just didn't think it was possible. Hundreds of years, thousands and thousands and thousands of people tried to break the four-minute mile barrier. And then in 1954, along comes Roger Bannister, puts on his shoes one foot at a time, just like you, and he runs a four minute mile. And here's what's crazy about this story. He held the record for the fastest mile for 46 days. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, like centuries of time, people are trying to break a four minute mile and 46 days later, this guy is now not the fastest mile runner on the planet because someone else comes along and runs an under four minute mile that's faster than his four minute mile. And the question is why? Why did after centuries and centuries and centuries of time, someone break a record and then have that record broken 46 days later because there was now proof in the universe of its possibility. Ladies and gentlemen, good morning. It's Tuesday. There was proof of its possibility. Someone saw that it was possible to break a four minute mile. And so they went out, put on their shoes, just like you do, and they ran faster than anyone had ever previously believed was possible for centuries and centuries and centuries of time because they saw in someone else 
the practical possibility of it actually being able to be a thing that could happen. And in it being a thing that now was possible, they believed that it was and it happened. And since there are 1400 human beings that have run faster than the four minute mile, 1400 people who saw the possibility of what was actually a thing that they could achieve because of having seen it in someone else, they just went out, put on their shoes, and they ran. And they ran faster than humanity collectively believed was possible for centuries, centuries at a time. Which brings me to what was happening inside of the Hollis House this morning. Segway, good morning, it's Tuesday. I hope that you uh, are having a nice morning. My name is Dave, my wife, She's not here. She is shooting on set today. Her show comes out in April. They are shooting all the episodes this week. This morning in the Hollis house, you may have uh, yourself been witness on the internet to the phenomenon that is literally, oh, Dave, dad joke, sweeping the nation. There's a broom challenge. There is a broom challenge that is going around the dang internet. And my kids, because they are influenced by technology, stories, memes, what's happening in social media, just like y'all are, are up early to show me the thing that they have learned from the internet. Thank you, internet, for teaching our children so well. There's this story going around the internet over the last handful of days that yesterday, right? Yesterday was the single day that the gravitational pull, pull as like reported by NASA, right? As reported by NASA, the single day that the gravitational pull of the universe will allow you to let a broom stand on its own. And so here we are this morning. Let's go. Here we are this morning. Boys are up early. They got dressed. They got their breakfast done because it's broom time. It's broom season at the Hollis house. And they've heard this story that today on this day of all days, this is the day that you can stand your broom up. This is the day, this is the day, yep, boom. Put the broom on the ground and it can, whoop, stand straight up. So I get out my phone, cause I think it's like Bill Nye the Science Guy has shown up. And I'm like, yes, I am here for this. Let me watch you get connected with science. Show me, show me what you can do. Show me what you can do when you believe in the power of the gravitational pull, because NASA told you, like NASA's sending emails around everyone. Hey, guys, it's broom season. Get your brooms out. And so there they are, like, look what I did. Look what I did. Look at what I did. I can have a science show. I should be in a science book. I stood a broom up straight up tall. They got done at one point, and literally, this song came on. They're the champions. Queen is playing in my kitchen. They're the champions. They figured out science, right? They are so impressed with themselves. And to be honest, as a proud dad, I'm like, do we have any medals that we can give away? Do we have, is there anything that we can do that would help 
provide someone some kind of affirmation that they are seen in this moment of science. I want to celebrate you for believing in yourself to make that broom stand on broom day here in Austin, Texas. So I recorded it. I celebrated it. I told them how proud I was. And then I walked away and I turned back around and I said, do you think uh, that maybe the broom stands up any day? And then I brushed it off because I was like, no. There is no way, there's just no way. There is no possible way that brooms could stand up any day. There's no way. And then sure enough, CNN or MSNBC or CBS News or what, I don't know what it is, but some news source that I actually believe, I looked it up, this dang meme was invented in 2012. This thing about brooms standing up happened eight years ago, <laughs> eight years ago, and it's circulating the internet just like every other crazy meme does. Broom stand up every day. I mean, it's not broom day. Every day is broom day. Every day is broom day. What is the point of the story, Dave? What is the point of the story? One, the point of the story was to try and weave in a queen song at 940 in the morning. So you're welcome. But the real point of the story is my kids believed from the authority of someone else that a thing that they did not think was possible any other day was possible on this day of all days because of internet, because of meme, because of the theoretical suggestion that NASA had declared today broom day because of gravitational forces that are not real. Like it's Dumbo's feather, it's Dorothy's slippers. It's like, come on, come on. And if you're looking for a sign that like you are affirmed every day, that you are good and ready to run on these roads or show up for your family or do the work, but you're, this is the sign. This is the sign. It, like if you, if you are someone who has uh, fallen into the like power of persuasion kind of trap, then let me persuade you into believing that you are good. You are worthy. You are enough. You right? all the things because man, if a meme from eight years ago can give my kids a confidence and their ability to stack a broom up, what, like, could you believe in yourself for a single day? Come on. Let's, let's go. I mean, literally, let's go. I, I, I don't want to do it again, but. Enough of that. Ladies and gentlemen, good morning. Still Tuesday. Rachel Hollis, still not here. Uh, if you're looking for a sign that you should go and just believe in yourself for the day, this, still your sign. Good morning. I uh, appreciate you being here. I put that story up originally about Roger Bannister when I was running in preparation for a marathon that I am now five days away from. 
But if you thought you were going to get off the hook having to listen to me talk about running, you've tuned, turned, you, ah, you've tuned into the wrong morning show, people. You have tuned into the wrong morning show. Uh, I, I shared that story while I was running because on the day I was doing my longest run, I had just the week previous done a half marathon where I did an under two hour half marathon, which I like is not, man, it's not like the most amazing, craziest, you know, thing in the entire universe, but I'll tell you what, for me, it was a personal record. I did a half marathon in under two hours. I felt super proud of it, but more than anything, I now had proof, like the person who ran the four minute mile after Roger Bannister, that I was capable of running an under two hour half marathon. And so the next weekend when I went out, I had a long run, I had to run 20 miles that day. I just went out and ran the first 13 in an hour and 55 minutes. And I say just like, you know, it was no big deal. But the reality is because I had proof from the previous weekend of my ability to do it, I just did it. I just did it. And so if uh, nothing else, I want you to find, I want you to find examples in the universe of people who are doing the things you aspire to do to give you the confidence that you are capable of doing them yourself. If you can find someone who is doing something that you hope to grow into, like being able to break the taboo or the mysticism or the whatever that you might have around it being something that is exclusively available to them, but not you, hogwash. I'm using words like hogwash this morning. That's hogwash. You are as available for anything that anyone else is. You just got to choose that you are and then do the work, right? I had a conversation when I was in Puerto Rico with a guy named Tom Billiou. And Tom has uh, had a crazy, amazing career. He built this very big company called uh, Quest Nutrition, and he now runs something called Impact Theory. And I was asking him a little bit about his mindset, and he, like, in answering the question, it'll be a part of an upcoming Rise Together podcast, but he said, look, I'm an unbelievably average person. I am an unbelievably average person, and I am connected to the reality that every single one of us has the same opportunity to do it literally anything that we decide to do if we choose to do the work. And he went into like describing like he was like not a person who was you know thought of you know as someone who could have a business that would succeed. His father-in-law declined his asking for his wife's hand when he first met him. He you know like there was a whole host of things that kind of laid out man yep he has had some things that for the from the outside may have appeared to be you know like not the like best signal for someone who would create the kind of career that ultimately he created and he just decided look i have to decide every day that i am as capable for the opportunities that sit in front of me as anybody else and i then have to go just do the work and you're going to have to decide you're going to have to decide to do the same uh, all right, ladies and gentlemen, there is a new Rise podcast up today. You may be familiar with this. It is Black History Month. And so on the Rise podcast this morning, uh, Rachel interviews our good friend, her very, very good friend, the MC of uh, the Rise events, uh, Brittany Beans Barron, to uh, have a conversation about 
Black History Month, right? Black history is history. And so uh, if you are interested, man, I encourage you tune in. It's a, I think, good conversation, important conversation for uh, everyone to uh, lean into and talk about. Uh, on this, I wrote a book, it's reading time, Tuesday, reading time. I wrote a book called Get Out of Your Own Way. I want to read you a little bit out of a chapter that I wrote specifically about the idea, the lie of this chapter is the lie that I know what you've been through. I know what you've been through. So uh, I grew up in a very homogenous town. Like everybody looked the same, acted the same, believed the same, was the same. I did not have many friends that were different than me in terms of their life experience. I did not have a perspective to appreciate what they'd been through. And on a day when there's a Rise podcast about Rachel really trying to understand from the perspective of a person of color what Black History Month means to them, um, I want to read a little bit out of this book. This is, again, a chapter, I know what you've been through, which is a lie. I do not know what you've been through. <clears throat> Before, uh, nope, hello. Uh, my wife and I adopted our youngest daughter in what was the happy ending to a harrowing five-year adoption journey. In the beginning, we thought we were adopting from Ethiopia. At the time, another couple from our church successfully completed the international adoption process, and their success gave us confidence to step into the adoption space. There were so many things that we didn't know, but the one thing we did feel fairly certain about was that if we were to successfully complete this mission, we would have a baby who did not look like us. We'd have a baby who had a different skin color from us, a different cultural background from us, and different needs for connecting to who she was before she was part of our family. So we decided to find an intentionally multicultural community that we could learn as much as we could for our daughter to be. I'm embarrassed to even write this out, but back then I thought I had a pretty good handle on race. I thought because I'd read books about Martin Luther King and watched documentaries about the civil rights movement and felt like I was a pretty aware person that I had a decently solid grip on what it was to be a person of color in the 21st century in America. I wasn't overly confident about it, but it was a humbling experience to enter an environment that introduced me to a different life experience when we joined our intentionally multicultural church. I was able to see how wrong I'd been. I thought I knew what it was like to be black in America, but I'd never had the experience of truly doing life with someone who was black. How naive. Our intentionally multicultural congregation invited people of all races to come together for worship, and as it turns out, real talk, about daily life, current events, and the occasional push into harder conversations. This new community created friendships across the spectrum of race and had us learning each week from an African-American pastor and sitting with people who shared the same interest in worship despite the variety of differences in each of our lives up to that point. At first, I didn't feel that difference in that environment. It wasn't that different from most of our church experiences. And then in 2014, the names Eric Garner and Michael Brown and Tamir Rice became part of a different kind of conversation. A year earlier, stories on the news of these kids being shot would not likely have been something that I spent as much time thinking about. They probably would have simply been news stories showing up on my feed, 
And as much as it would have struck me as sad, I can honestly say I wouldn't have probably given as much consideration to how these events affect people in their everyday, particularly people of color. But now, as I was trying to get a better handle on what to expect for our daughter of color, I witnessed firsthand how my friends in this community processed these headlines in a way that I had not had to consider before. I remember talking with a friend from church who asked me if I'd ever considered having a conversation with my sons about what to do if they were pulled over. Like step by step, what to do to keep them safe. This dad, this African-American dad, was doing it in real time with his young children to prepare them for a world that greets them differently than it does mine. And yet it had never occurred to me. The world treats his kids differently. I thought I understood that on an intellectual level, but until I was talking with a friend who had a name in a seat next to me, it didn't land the way it should have. Black parents have a long history of teaching their kids how to interact with police, and I'd never really known that. That reflects my reality to that point. It reflects privilege. It provoked a different set of questions and a longer conversation about so many things. It led to a workshop on something called racial reconciliation, a church group that took a civil rights tour through the South, brought back stories. It all stacked to confirm that not only did I not have a handle on race, but that I will never, ever fully grasp it. All I can do is try to push into community to learn and listen and connect with experiences that I don't have myself, to get closer every day to understanding. I talked about this experience at Disney and it led the leadership team to ask if I would consider being an executive sponsor of a black employee resource group. I wanted to learn about experiences of our employees of color, so I said yes. And I immersed myself in another environment that introduced me to things that I hadn't previously thought about. We talked about a wide range of topics, the kind that, the, the, from the kind of hair that would go on a doll on a Disney Channel show to better ways to connect to our customers of color. It was in this role as an executive sponsor that I found myself in an extraordinary moment that will stick with me forever. One afternoon, a showrunner from ABC came over to the Disney campus for a conversation about what they were cooking up for the shows of the next broadcast season. I made my way to a seat in a small theater and about halfway through, I became aware of something. Uh, I became aware of what I hadn't noticed and frankly, hadn't ever experienced before. I was one of four white people in an auditorium of 220. I don't think I had ever in my life paid attention to the composition of an audience before that very moment, probably because I'd traditionally been in the majority. In a world where more often than not, I'd been sitting with white men of a certain age, it had never occurred to me what it might feel like to not be like everyone else in a theater. When we got to the question and answer portion of the program, I did not move. I had always been quick to throw my hand in the air in the past, but I didn't feel comfortable making an observation as someone who was different in the room. I stifled myself because of my difference and for one of the first times in my life, wondered if this was how someone who's the single person of color, one of the only women in the room, or one of the only members of the LGBTQ community in the room, how they might feel when they're outnumbered. 
Now, that, not, that may not be the reality for everyone who identifies as parts of any of these groups. But the fact that it landed on me that day, that way, provoked a new set of questions that I had never considered before. It stuck with me in a good way. So anyway, uh, that entire chapter ends up being a conversation around a whole variety of instances where the hubris of my experience had me believing that I had a handle on what it was like to be you, whoever you are. And one of the most beautiful things about this community that shows up here every single day is that we are not the same. We don't look the same, act the same, vote the same, believe the same. We have unbelievably different life experiences and hopefully in sharing a little bit of what the life experience that you individually have to a group like this that might have had a history like mine that was removed from the possibility of understanding on a deeper level what it's like to have life happen like yours that's the that's the potential to you know, smooth out some of the rough edges of our heart or connect in empathy in a way that sees someone and their experience, but doesn't have the hubris to think that you understand what they've gone through. Just the want to get closer to maybe understand a little bit better what it's like. It's Black History Month. I want to encourage you, one, we need to celebrate Black History Month, uh, not just this month, but frankly every month. But I also want to encourage you to try and find a way to lean closer to this community to understand a little bit of what their life experience and the history of African-Americans in this country or any country maybe have gone through so that in an appreciation for their experience, it maybe changes the way that you think about everything. Uh, we've gone full circle, y'all. We went Roger Bannister to the Broom Challenge to talking about the lie, I know what you've been through. It's Tuesday. I want to uh, really just encourage whoever needs to hear this, believe, believe in you being the person who was perfectly and totally equipped to do the work that is on your heart. Yep, there are other people out there that are doing it. And if you believe a narrative that it's theirs to do or that you can't, I am here to tell you, you can if you're looking for a sign. Hello, good morning, happy Tuesday. I'll be your sign. Go out there and believe in yourself. Have a fantastic day. You got to put up with me for one more day tomorrow. Rachel's got one more day of shooting, then we'll be back together on Thursday as a couple reunited. It'll feel so good. Have a great day. We'll see you all tomorrow. Hey guys, thank you for listening to the Start Today Morning Show podcast. If you want to actually see the episodes, make sure you tune in in the morning every weekday, 8 a.m. Central, on Facebook and Instagram, on basically every channel we have. Our theme song is from Sarah Sunshine. Follow her at The Sarah Sunshine. Our executive producer is Cameron Berkman. The show is produced by Chelsea Harfouche and Kevin Westlake. With production help from Nicole Fisher. And I'd like to give special thanks to Hawk, the fish that will never die. <laughs>